yet another day that he has kept us another day that he has allowed us to gather together in his name to fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ to celebrate the goodness of Jesus to remember all that he has done for us so that our souls might shout so that our souls might shout oh I thank God he saved me hallelujah Hallelujah. Just thank everybody for following the instructions that have been given. We salute you, those that were able to make it today. Those that are tuning in, we salute you. We thank the Lord for your attention for the next few moments as we labor to give you the word of the Lord. It is my desire to finish this series that we've been working on the last few weeks, I am targeted for assassination. And we're looking to God to allow us to not be ignorant of the schemes and the devices of our enemies, but that in knowledge we would stand triumphant in Christ knowing we're not fighting the battle. The battle has already been fought. The battle has already been won. All we need to do is dance on it. Hallelujah. That's all we got to do. You're spending all the time and energy fighting. And God says you're not doing anything but fighting yourself because he already fought the fight. All you need to do is dance on the victory. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has already won. Hallelujah. So again, we thank the Lord for each and every one of you. I know that wearing the mask is uncomfortable, but I appreciate your obedience and wearing them. Um, we thank God for the praise team as we're trying to, uh, you know, go along with the rule of the day and keeping the proper social distancing. Uh, so as we're moving around and we're giving direction, it's only to follow the rules, amen? amen? And to allow as many from the praise team as possible to sing at one time. Uh, didn't they do a great job today? Come on, celebrate the praise team, come on. Hallelujah. I thought they did a beautiful job today. Hallelujah. I know that this week we had talked about limiting it to four, but I think that with the setup as we had it today, we can do at least six, three, two on the floor, one at the podium, three behind, properly spaced. I think we have the room for that. So we're going to leave it at six, and if there is a seventh, they can stand here in the front on the floor and lead. I think that that would work and it allow us not to lose the fullness and it won't leave too many of the uh, members carrying whole sections by themselves. I will say though that uh, the Sopranos represented today, the Sopranos that was a Soprano, hallelujah. The altos was working it, the tenors was working it. We thank God for them, hallelujah. 
We've been talking over the last few weeks about how the enemy wants to take us out and how he uses every scheme and every device within his arsenal to do just that. He wants to assassinate you. He wants to isolate you so that you are by yourself because when you are by yourself, you become an easy target. God surrounds you with people so that you're not isolated. But what do we typically do as just human beings, when we don't like what somebody is telling us, we push them away and end up by ourselves. And somebody has caused humanity to believe that we don't need nobody else. I can do it by myself. I don't need your help. I don't want your help. But God said in the beginning when he made Adam that it was not good that Adam should be alone. It was not good that Adam should be alone. There he developed a theory of life that is dependent upon us working together to be successful. How many of you are in a relationship and understand that if only one person in that relationship is working, that relationship is destined to fail? If only one person is doing all the work and the other person is either riding the coattails or just don't care, that relationship is rocky. Amen? I'm not getting too many amens. That must mean that everyone that's in a relationship in here today must be doing a-okay. So that's a good thing. Amen. But it takes two to tango, and it takes two to make something work. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he would be there in the midst. God surrounds us with people, and the enemy causes you to adopt ideas that the very people that God has sent to speak into your life. Last week we ended talking about spouses speaking into the life of another spouse to impart wisdom and knowledge and give direction and encouragement and to uplift, amen. But oftentimes when they are doing these things, we don't receive what is being said. Now on the other side of the, of the same coin, we do have some issues sometimes because sometimes God will give somebody a word, and they'll be right on. But then they think that now every time they open their mouth, they're speaking the oracles of God. And that's not always the case. It's not always the case. Sometimes God will give you a word, and if God gives you a word, share the word. But if God ain't talking, keep your mouth shut, unless somebody asks for your opinion. Amen. Because you could lead people astray because you think your opinion is right does not mean it is what God wants to be done. Even if your opinion is lawful, it may not necessarily be expedient. But remain humble. And as God used you once, he will use you again. But when you start hearing yourself and declaring that what you say, everything that comes out, to your out of your mouth is what God says, you are destined for a problem. Amen? 
The old adage is, if you don't have nothing good to say, then don't say nothing. Amen? Don't fake it till you make it. It's another problem that we have. The problem is that we, we've run into people who uh, we have been surrounded with. We don't want to associate ourselves with them. And, you know, we will begin to pout that they're just not encouraging me. We, we use these religious excuses when... In actuality, what we need is to be rebuked, not encouraged. You want someone to pity you, but God is not into the pity pat game. God is not trying to pity anyone. We often feel like somebody offended us. I was looking at TikTok the other day, and there was this skit that came across talking about being offended. And the comedian made a poignant point. If somebody offends you, so what? What happens? Nothing. It's not like if somebody offended you, tomorrow when you wake up, the world has come to an end. Who cares? If they call you something, it's probably because that's what they are. Let it go. It doesn't mean anything. But when we get offended, we constantly want to shut people out, whine and cry about it. When sometimes, now the key word there is sometimes, when we are offended, we are offended because somebody is quite close to exposing the demon influencing your life. And that demon does not want to be exposed. Because the best assassin is the one who can take you out without ever being seen. Amen? I found throughout my 20 plus years of ministry and leadership that those who are targeted for assassination won't listen to anyone. You can't tell them anything. And if you try to rebuke them, they will turn right around and rebuke you. If you try to give them godly instruction, they seem to always know more than you know. You can't tell them anything. But this is what the Bible declares in Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. They watch for your souls. It's their job to help keep you from being assassinated. Kids have problems listening to parents because parents are constantly telling kids what they can't do or what they shouldn't do. And because you want to do something, all your parent is trying to do is hold you down. They just won't let you enjoy life. When in actuality, they're trying to keep you from killing yourself. Let me give you an example. Let's say I come to one of you and say, I can't put my finger on it, but something is wrong with you. What's going on in your life? Your response might be, who are you talking to me? I'm as saved as you are. People who respond like that, assassination is surely headed their way. John, the 10th chapter, teaches us that the good shepherd sees the wolf coming. 
The shepherd sees things that the sheep do not see. Sheep are nearsighted. They don't see the wolf until their head is in the wolf's mouth. When they see its tonsils, they finally say, Ah, I think the wolf is coming. I am the shepherd of this flock. I see things not because my sight is so much better than anybody else, but because God has revealed things to me to impart into your life so that you can be successful. Many of the things that I tell you doesn't really benefit me. It benefits you. The, sh the uh, shepherd to protect his flock from the wolf, God is given a rod and a staff. Now, what's the rod and the staff? Well, the staff pulls the sheep close to the shepherd, and the rod beats the wolf off. I'm not afraid to be your shepherd. I don't have a problem pulling you in. I don't have an issue beating demons off of you. This is my assignment. This is my calling. This is my destiny. I won't take steps backwards. This is why God gave me this moment in time. This is for what I've been birthed for, is to wage war with you against the enemies who come to destroy you. But sometimes when a person is targeted for assassination, the devil will pull him away from the house of God and the very people that know him best. He will seek a new group of friends who don't know the extent of the demonic influence that this person is under. And all of us have proclivities and weaknesses and people who are close to us know exactly what your issues are. I would beg to say that I have good knowledge of my brother Sean Marshall, elder, godly man, anointed vessel of God, but I don't know him as well as his wife Angela, who knows him best. I see him out here. Angela sees him out here and at home. I called Elder Marshall one day, and I'm used to seeing Elder Marshall full of teeth and he answered the FaceTime but he forgot his teeth but I didn't know that he didn't have no teeth I learned something but I bet you Angela already knew that didn't you Angela <laughs> that's okay though because you got teeth I love my brother. I got to mess with him. But oftentimes there are people that are close to us that know things about us that other folks don't know. They see things that other people just don't see. And they're given the ability to speak into your life so that you, who are often blinded to your own weaknesses, have a chance to avoid the pitfalls of life. The last time that we spoke, I told you that we would talk more about the demonic realm. 
And there's a reason we have been dealing with the demonic uh, atmospheres, climates, and strongholds over these last few weeks. There's a war that is raging, and it's not being fought on a physical front or in a natural realm, but is being waged in a spiritual realm that you cannot see with your natural eye. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual and mighty through God. God is making this ministry for his purpose in this region, which is the epicenter of a spiritual onslaught, which will cause ripples in both the spiritual and physical realms. I believe that God is shifting the tectonic plates between the realms and pouring out a fire through us to burn up the works of the enemy and shake the hold of the enemy that's in this land. The land that he himself has given to us. Have you ever noticed that when God gives you something, he doesn't always move the current occupants out, but he gives you the authority to move in and move them out. If you remember, there were a whole lot of folk in the promised land. But whose land was it? It was the land given to the nation of Israel by God. And as long as they stayed in alignment with God, they could move throughout the land and push out everyone that did not belong. I believe that God has so anointed this work to push out everything that does not belong in this region. And it is time for the people of God to live completely, truly, and honestly free. I believe that God is preparing us as his warriors to overthrow spiritual powers in place. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, neighbor, you're a rebel in training. We're already beginning to see the manifestation of his instructions coming to pass around us. God has caused me to believe and we have not really even seen anything yet. The enemy wants to pervert and prevent you from moving forward, but no longer will we take backward steps. We press for the what? We push our way. We fight the good fight of faith, and we are victorious in it because the battle has already been won. Yes, sir. There are some things that I need to teach you about your adversary so that when you are in battle, you will know exactly what to do and how to respond to what the enemy is doing. If you apply the wrong strategy to the attack that is against you, you will not enjoy success in this life. When a spirit is identified, it will either run away or it will fully manifest itself. I'm not talking about Ghostbusters here. It, it becomes very easy to discount the, de the uh, demonic realm because Hollywood has uh, made them feel or seem like they're not real. But I'm here to tell you that the demonic realm is real and you're seeing the effects of it in our current climate. You look throughout the city, even on as far as things have been going with the rioting and the protesting and the kind of mix of the both, 
the both uh, ideologies. Some just want chaos. Do you think that that's just humanity wanting chaos? Or do you see and understand that there is a power that is behind the chaotic behavior of agents of the enemy that have been put into groups to stir groups to trouble? You don't have to be afraid of the enemy, but you should have a healthy respect of the enemy. Let me warn some of you demon chasers. If you live a half-hearted life for God, you better leave demon-possessed people alone. If you're not truly living for Christ and you run into somebody that's possessed or influenced by the devil, you ought to turn and walk the other way. Sometimes it's a painful experience when demons are cast out of a person because the demons don't want to leave. That's a shocker. They like where they're at. They're comfortable where they're at, and they don't want to go. The Bible says that when unclean spirits are cast out, they would tear the person that they're coming out of. They would cause people to uh, harm themselves and hurt themselves as they are being pulled out. The devil is rough on people when he holds them under his power, but he has to loose them and let them go free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 8 and 8 says that when the unclean spirit came out of the people of the city of Samaria, there was great joy in that city. You see, when you put the devil out, joy will come to your house. When you put the devil out, joy will come to your city. When you put the devil out, joy will come to your church. If the devil will go into heaven to accuse you, don't think he won't come up into your house. Don't think he won't come up into your relationships. Don't think he won't show up on your job. Don't think he won't pull up a seat right next to you and violate the social distancing guidelines. He will come mess with you. People who are bound up by the devil are bound up on the inside. They have a weight that sits on the inside of them. They're tormented both day and night because they know they have been targeted for assassination by the devil. Someone had to come in the name of Jesus and set captives free and warn those who may be on the edge of falling into the devil's snare that someone is us. The Bible says that we are what? Soldiers. In the army of the Lord. We're living in perilous times. The devil may tell you, I'm going to give you a business deal that's so good. You're going to make a whole lot of money. But there's a catch to it. You won't be able to come to church for the next six months. You think you're pursuing a blessing when in actuality you're walking right into the devil's sights so that you can be taken out. Because your perspective is skewed. If God wants to bless you, God will not put something in your life that takes you away from him. 
You have to understand that not everything that shines is glitter. You've got to understand that not everything that sparkles is a diamond. You've got to understand that not everything that glows is gold. You've got to know the difference between the two. You have to know what God is saying. Perilous times are here right now, and the Lord wants to set you free while you're in them. He's not a God that's waiting for the storm to end. He's a God that keeps you in the middle of the storm. I'm going to give you a natural illustration. Please do not misunderstand what I'm about to say to you. Too often people misunderstand me. Many ministers have been targeted for assassination and Spirits have also been assigned to certain denominations. For example, we've seen in the news media that many Catholic priests have been and are being charged with child molestation. I'm not against Catholic priests, you understand. I'm merely trying to get you to understand that they need to recognize that this is a spirit from the kingdom of darkness that has been assigned against them and their work. When you don't teach people truth, you open the door for bondage, and this is a spirit from the dark kingdom. The way to get rid of it is for them to get together and say, this is a spirit that has been assigned to destroy the ministerial work of this godly denomination. Then they need to consecrate themselves before God and cast out that demon in the name of Jesus. You've got to understand, people of God, this may come to shock you, but you're going to see some Catholics in heaven. I know sometimes as Pentecostals think we're the only ones going to heaven, but you're going to see some Catholics, you're going to see some Methodists, you're going to see some Protestants, you're going to see some African Methodist Episcopal whatever. You're going to even see some Baptists in heaven. More people are going to heaven than you think. And some of the people you think is going to heaven, you won't see. But we can't be blind to the enemy. Sometimes we get bitter and we get angry and we allow the enemy to make us blind to the forces that are coming against our life. We're in the middle of a fight, but you can't never seem to see your enemy. It's hard to block what you can't see. It's the punch that you don't see that puts you on your gluteus maximus. That's the one that puts you down, is the one that you can't see. The ones you see, you can roll with them. They may not feel good, but you can stay on your feet. But that one that connects that you don't see is the one that hurts the most. There was a televangelist that said he remembers the day when the spirit that destroyed his life attached itself to him. He was 13 years old. And from that day until the day of his great public fall, he battled against this spirit. And it would come for a season, then it would leave for a season. He would think that he was delivered, 
then it would come for another season. And when a spirit is identified, it may manifest itself totally. And this is what happened in this case where a young woman got involved with this prominent minister. She was known to have a spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of a harlot, long before she ever became notorious. And rather than repenting of it and being set free from it, she harbored this unclean spirit and it manifested itself totally. But the one thing you've got to understand about the enemy is he likes to get as much bang for his buck as he can. And if he can use one to take out many, it's a lot more economical. You ought to pray for those who get caught up in these types of situations that God would have mercy on them and free them. But you have a defense against spiritual assassins. And I'm glad to tell you this. You don't have to become a victim of an assassination attempt. When I got started in ministry, I would emphasize the importance of an altar experience. And I still believe that the altar experience is important for the people to make a public confession for Christ and for people of God to lay hands on you when you are in direst need. However, I have found as a pastor and from my study of the Word of God that as important as the altar experience is, it is equally important that you get some kind of discipline to maintain your deliverance. If you will not discipline your life, you will need to be delivered again and again and again, the fact that you fall back into the same stuff is not an indication that you were not delivered from that stuff at one point in time. The problem is, is that once deliverance came, you lack the discipline to maintain what you have been delivered. I have found over the years that if you come up to get prayed for and you're healed or you're delivered and from, you know, whatever it is, spiritually or physically, that when people have left uh, after receiving their deliverance, uh, they find a, an ignorance of God's covenant of healing and then they get sick or addicted back into the same thing sooner or later and they come back for more prayer, believing they were never delivered or the addiction was never broken. When Jesus laid hands on the sick, they recovered, period. When Jesus spoke to heal those that he couldn't even touch, they were healed that same hour. When Jesus was walking through a crowd and someone touched him or just touched the hem of his garment, they were healed instantly. The issue is not the lack of power in Christ to deliver you. The issue is the discipline of the believer to maintain what God has delivered into their hands. You have to understand how God works. He gives you something, but you have the responsibility to maintain what he has given. In relationships, God gives you a spouse. The Bible tells the man that a man who findeth a wife findeth a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. 
but it's the responsibility of the man to maintain the gift that God has granted him. If the man does not maintain it, it is not the woman's fault that the man lacked the discipline to maintain the blessing. And men need to stop running around saying that she has become a curse when she actually is a blessing that you just could not handle. I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens today, but that's okay. You've got to understand you have a responsibility to handle what God gives you. How many of us have seen just in the natural life people who have had nothing but been given through their talents or gifts millions of dollars only to turn around two, three, four years later and be bankrupt? Why is that? Because they could not handle what they had. As a matter of fact, the NBA right now has an indoctrination process for all the new players coming in. And part of that indoctrination process is to teach them how to handle all of the uh, influence that they're going to have, all of the money that they're going to get, all of the uh, people that are going to be pulling at them and tugging at them. It teaches them how to deal with this change in life. The problem that we have as the people of God is that when God comes in and changes our life, we don't know how to handle it. We know how to handle, or at least we think we know how to handle the way things were going before. I knew how to find peace by putting a blunt to my lips. It would give me that kind of elevated feeling of being above my problem. But then I found I was addicted to the sesamine. So then I needed deliverance. And God delivered. And he said that I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. So then in the deliverance, if I don't maintain by choosing, because everything is born of choice, if I don't maintain by choosing or disciplining myself to find peace in God, I'm going to ultimately go back to puffing on the grass. Because that's a peace that I understand. I simply fall back into the very thing that I've been delivered from because I cannot or did not maintain my own deliverance. You can give to God and see him honor his word and release financial harvest into your life, but if you don't get teaching and then discipline in the way to handle your credit cards and your money, you will soon find yourself in a financial hole yet again, asking God to bless you with yet another financial blessing. I believe the altar experience is important. I've seen it work in my life. 
I've seen it work in so many other people that I know. Even though we need to lay hands on the people to break demonic powers off of them. And even though we need to get the sick free from the power of infirmity and the oppressed from the power of the devil. We cannot forget to give priority to strong teaching and discipleship to produce and maintain the lasting freedom that God has released into your hands. You have the power to remain free if you manage your blessing. Some of us have an issue with the management of our deliverance because we don't really understand our destiny. After the altar experience is gone and done, we find out whether your house is going to stand. You see, the destiny of a house is determined by the spirit that is in the house. My house may not look much like much. I'm referring to my natural house, the physical body that I live in. I found out, I was telling my wife this morning as we were driving here to the church, I may not have a six pack. I may joke that I have a keg. I may not be a physical specimen of manly beauty, but I found out that what really happened was that you know how heat expands things? What I found out was I'm not really fat, I'm hot. That's what I found out. It made me feel a little bit better about myself. Y'all too serious this morning, Lord Jesus. You may look rough on the outside, but if you've got the right spirit on the inside, your destiny is to be blessed. But on the other side of the coin, you can look all put together on the outside, but if you're You've got the devil living on the inside of you. You're going to have the devil's destiny on the inside. You see, the destiny of a house is determined by the spirit that resides in the house. With that in mind, let's take a look at the book of Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 43rd and the 44th verse, where Jesus says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. You see, we see a spiritual principle in play here. What you fought once, you will fight again. Maybe no one told you this, and now you wonder why you're having such a battle. But whatever you have battled with before you got saved, sooner or later, that same spirit is going to return and knock on the door of your house and see if a new spirit is in there. And if there ain't a new spirit in there, then that spirit is going to try to move back in. Some of us are walking around with squatting spirits. You see, the old demon that used to trouble you before you knew Christ is the same demon that's going to trouble you after you know Christ. 
You may be excited about attending church, studying the word of God and attending prayer meetings. But deep down the road, you will have a knock on your door. That old demon who once oppressed you will say, I heard you're still living around here. I came to see if you still got the same doors unlocked so I can get in the same way I got in the first time. You see, some of us need spiritual key locks changed. Because the very same access we gave the enemy before, we still allow that back door of access to be open. It's really good when the devil knocks on the door to your house but this time, the Holy Ghost says, who's a knocking? You can't come in. It's also good if the devil comes to your house, kicks the door open and finds you sitting in your lazy boy with a shotgun in your hand loaded with Holy Ghost slugs while you're wearing the full armor of God and you declare, bring it on. I got something for you. Sometimes people think that just because they prayed a little prayer at the altar, everything's going to be all right. I've seen a lot of people shout and dance and say everything is going to be all right, only to find a few weeks later nothing is going right for them because the condition of their house never changed. Matthew 12, 44 and 45 goes on to say it like this. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, stop playing with your deliverance. You see, deliverance is not something to be played with. This is why I've been teaching you what I've been teaching you. If, you, if I don't teach you right, you can end up worse than you were originally. Some people get set free in church and then we never see them again. You should not come to church to get set free from a spirit if you are not serious about serving God. If you end up returning to your old lifestyle sooner or later, that same spirit is going to return to you and your condition is going to be worse. Notice that the devil does not return to your emptied house right away. He returns after time and he finds the place empty. Because the preacher cast out everything that was unclean. Now, what was once unclean is clean. It's swept. You've got a new suit on. You're empty, garnished, and religious looking. I just read for you what is going to happen next. Someone is scoping you out. Someone is coming back but they're not coming by themselves. They're bringing worse friends than they are because you look ripe for the taking. The condition your house is in when the spirit attacks 
determines the outcome of that attack. If your house is empty, you have no defense. If you are weak when a battle hits, you're in trouble. This is why the Bible tells us that we should always have on the full armor of God. We should always be ready to resist the devil. Of course, sometimes you feel stronger than other times. And then uh, there are times when you feel uh, not so strong, but you keep right on going. Why is it that other times you don't feel so strong? You get beaten up by the devil. It has to do with the condition your house is in when you get attacked. I want to warn you concerning the days in which we live. It's not a good time for you to have an in and out, up and down kind of relationship with God. Because the devil is going to be standing there waiting for you to have one of those down and out days. He wants to catch you sleeping, catch you slipping, and keep you right there. This is how he catches people unawares. You see, there's a vital importance of having a good foundation. The foundation of your house determines its destiny. Jesus talked about several kinds of houses. He said one house was built on sand and another was built on the rock. When the test came, the house that was built on the sand did what? The hard, cold fact of it is, if you have adversity in your life, and you will, if you haven't yet, and you give up on God and fall, it's because you did not have the right foundation. You can blame your fall on the preacher. You can blame your fall on mismanagement of money. You can blame your fall on unmet expectations. You can blame your fall on your offense. But the truth remains, if you quit because of an adversity, you had the wrong foundation. Many people today say, I would go to church, but I've got hurt in the church once. I would go to church, but church folk are a trip. I would go to church, but I can't be around a whole lot of phony people. I would go to church, but too many church people got issues and I'm too busy being focused on what's wrong with them that I can't get what's wrong with me right. I would go to church, but church is not what I thought it was. What happens to you, the wind came, your adversary caught you standing on the wrong foundation. I don't care if everyone goes crazy and starts acting strange. I'm going to keep on serving God right where God told me to be. You see, the actions of others have no bearing on my foundation. I'm not going to church because of him or her. It don't matter about him or her. The only thing that matters is you. You should feel the same way about me. You should say, Bishop Lyson, we love you. We're praying for you. But if you go off the deep end, we're still going to serve God and not follow you off the cliff. Because your foundation is not shored by me. 
It is shored by God. That's why the Bible tells us you ought to try the spirits. You ought to hear the things that I'm saying and apply it to the word. As I tell every member that joins the church, if I tell you something and scripture backs up what I'm saying, your success is locked into being obedient to the things you've been instructed. Will there be times that I give you my opinion? Absolutely. You may ask my opinion about something and I may share something with you that's not necessarily spiritually based, but it could be uh, from my experience or from the wisdom that God has given me. I, I share things with you. But if I point to the Bible and says, the Bible says this, and you don't follow that instruction, the failure is not on the word. The failure is on your foundation not being founded upon the word. You have to remember that the foundation of your house determines the destiny of your house. It's important that once you are born again, you get involved in the church. Being involved in the church is more than just coming on Sunday. Being involved in the church is more than just tuning in on Tuesday, which not even everyone does. We had at one time many people that tuned in. Now it's hard to get 12, 13 people to tune in. And this is your opportunity to discuss and talk about the things you don't understand about the word of God. We come together to reason with each other and to come to a greater understanding of God's word. So as we apply the word of God to our house, our house has a sure foundation. And because the foundation is assured upon the word of God and it's connected to our destiny, our destiny is to be blessed. The question you might want to ask yourself is what name is over your house? Something else you need to understand is that the name that sits over your house has everything to do with the destiny of your house. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In history, great houses or castles would fly a flag that had a coat of arms on it. Even today, when the Queen of England is in her residence uh, of one of the castles that she uh, owns, her coat of arms is flown above that building to indicate that is where the Queen is. When the United States sent astronauts to the moon, the first thing they did was pull out an American flag and plant it in the ground. It's a gesture that says this territory is under the dominion and the authority of the United States of America. So when you become born again, you need to pull down the old flag that was flying over your house and lift up a new flag that proclaims the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and declare, as for me and this house we will serve the Lord this is the most meaningful thing that you can do because if you fly a flag it means that before anyone gets to your castle they know whom live in it the flag you fly indicates your service 
the flag you fly indicates whom you serve. Your unsaved friends should no longer be able to bring you booze and drugs and immorality and strife into your house because you have a new flag flying. That old administration was overthrown and the king of kings has come in. Who is? You have defense against your assassins. Let me close on this. The flag that is flown over your house is the name of the Lord. Proverbs 18 and 10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are saved. You see, this refers to your defense against spiritual assassins. Some of us have been defenseless because we never removed the flag. We have the wrong flag flying over our house. And that flag is an indication of the destination of that house. You have a defense. Your defense is the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is the strong tower. The name of the Lord is the place where you run to and are safe. This tells me that just being righteous isn't good enough. Many righteous people are being taken out or killed every day. You can be righteous and be wrong at the same time. You can be righteous and ignorant at the same time. You can be righteous and dead at the same time. It's not just good enough to be righteous. The Bible says the righteous run into the name of the Lord. That tells me there's something the righteous has to do besides being righteous. If the righteous don't get under the covering of the word of God, then uh, under the covering of his name, of his name, then they're not safe. You see, God's name means his character, his nature, his authority. And this is what we are running into, his character, his nature, and his authority. In time of trouble, we run into the character, the nature, and the protection of God. And we are safe within the name of the Lord. David said it like this in Psalm 61 and 3, He is my strong tower from the enemy. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, those demons, when you're 
flying of the flag of Jesus. When they enter into your residence, they have to bow at the knee. Those demons have to get down in reverence the name of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? That means when sickness comes, it can't just come in. It's got to bow to the name that's over the house. When I run into the name of the Lord, sickness has to bow because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. When poverty comes, it's got to bow because the name of the Lord rides over this house. So poverty has to bow. You got to understand your defense is when you're standing under the name of God. Everything that is not like God has to bow before you. When you feel like you're about to be assassinated, when you feel like there's trouble on every side, when you feel like you can't breathe because of the weight of your enemy. Don't run to the telephone. Don't run to the internet. Don't run to some other person. You ought to run to the name of the Lord and let the name of the Lord be your strong tower. Let the name of the Lord be your protection. Let the name of the Lord keep you. You need to confess his name. You need to say, you are Jehovah Yireh, the one who meets my need. You are Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present with me. You are Jehovah El Shaddai, the Lord who is more than enough. As you declare the name of the Lord, you're building a strong tower of strength in your life. For Fortifying yourself from the plans of the enemy. The Lord, the name of the Lord is your strong tower. Let me just leave you with this text and let this season tenderize your spirit. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The question you ought to be asking yourself is what is your relationship with Jesus really like are you a fair weather fan or are you sold out for Christ 
Are you truly ride or die? Or is there a line you will not cross? A lot of people say I'm ride or die until you get to the dying part. Then all of a sudden you want to reassess the quality of your relationship. You want to figure out in that moment whether you really got someone's back. In spite of, if your ride or die is dependent on somebody else, that somebody else is in trouble. But if my ride or die is just dependent on me, that other person's going to be all right. If I tell my wife, we're ride or die, but it's really dependent on how she treats me, as long as she's treating me right, we're ride or die. But when she treats me wrong, all of a sudden we're no longer ride or die then we were really never ride or die in the beginning. And she really can't really have that confidence in me. But my wife knows we're ride or die. Matter of fact, we joke about it. We said, and we look at each other, until death do us part. You know what that means? That means someone's got to die to get out of this relationship. Now that's ride or die. She got to kill me to get rid of me. Because I'm ride or die not dependent on her. I love her not dependent on what she does. She loves me not dependent on what I do. We've proven that to each other throughout our years together. We've proven that to each other. We've got to understand, people of God, what level of relationship we really have with Jesus. You see, some of us think we have a lifelong relationship when in actuality, all we have is a Sunday relationship. We just stop by for a few hours on Sunday to hang with our fella. And even then, we don't really give it our full attention. Our mind is elsewhere. We're not even focused on what's going on in the house of God when we're in the house of God. We're thinking about what's next. How long are we going to be here? Is Bishop ever going to shut up? He said, this is his closing remarks 30 minutes ago. That's one long close. Not really focused on where we're at or what we're doing. These are red flags on the level of connection of your relationship with God. Some of us are not as connected as we think we are or as we purport ourselves to be. 
coming here to church a saint does not make you. You have to understand this, people of God. You ought to be sold out for Christ. That means absolutely nothing gets between you and God. Absolutely nothing and no one. I would never let my wife lead me away from the Lord. If she decided to take a left turn, I'm going to stay right where we were on the right path. And I'm going to stay right there and I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for her to come back. I'm not going to follow her to the left. I'm not going to leave her either. I'm going to stay right where I'm supposed to be Wait till God deals with whatever needs to be dealt with and embrace her with all the love God has given me when she comes back. You know why? Because I'm in a real relationship with her. Because I'm in a real relationship with God. I love her, but I'm not going to go left with her. She loves me and she ain't going to go right with me. But as long as we are walking on the path to heaven. As long as what I'm telling and and doing and leading my family is governed by the word of God. The destiny of my house is blessing. Think about some of these things that we've talked about. You're targeted, your relationship, your job, your money, your children, your family, your stuff is all targeted for destruction. But you have the ability to live a blessed existence. As long as the destiny of your house, which is governed by the flag, the name, the people who reside inside of your house, as long as those are all in line with the word of God, your house is blessed. Your family is blessed. Your children are blessed. It's when the wrong thing is governing your life, the wrong motivation, Why do I come to church? Do I come to church just because I get to have a few people listen to me for a little bit of time? Or do I come to church because this is how I express who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me? Do I come to church because I sing good and I just want all the praise and adulation from people screaming my name? Or do I tune all of that out and say praise belongs not to me, but it belongs to my God and my God alone? Will I sing if people sit on me? Or will I stop singing because people are sitting on me? Will I preach if no one says amen? Will I preach? If the organ never tunes up, if the drummer never hits a beat, will I preach 
to just the seats? Or do I have to have a house filled because I'm looking for something else from people rather than doing what God has called me to do simply because he is who he is. And all I do, I do as unto the Lord. You'll find that when your motivation is right, you'll sing to a whole nother level. You'll enter a place of rapture in God when your motivation is right. It's vital when your motivation is wrong, recognize it because that's an indication the wrong person is leading your house. We're all twisted about being possessed by the devil. The devil is happy to just lead you. He doesn't have to move in if he can get you to follow him from the outside. So yeah, you may not be possessed by any demonic power. But everything you do is an instrument of unrighteousness. Everything you do is an instrument of the enemy. And the Bible says, to whom you yield your members as servants is whom you serve. It's whom you serve. You either serve God unto righteousness or you don't. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. When your default position is not representative of God, there's an issue that you need to deal with. Because you're on the wide road, and the wide road does not lead to heaven. The narrow road leads to heaven. You've got to understand that about yourself. There's a whole lot of people on the wide road that think they're going to heaven. But they're not. The Bible is very clear. They're not. I don't want anyone in this house to be sitting here when the Lord cracks the sky and you start hearing crashes of cars outside the building, planes falling out of the sky. You look around and there's empty seats filled with clothes. I don't want anyone in here to experience that. Because let me be prophetic. If you're here to see that, it's already too late for you. And you're going to have seven years of trouble if you make it to seven years. That's just how vital this whole uh, last few sermons have been. We're living in a day that's vastly and rap rapidly approaching the return of our Lord. 
And we're allowing the wrong things to govern us. We're turning a deaf ear. The Bible declares that there's going to be a falling away of the church in the last day, and we're seeing it now. It's hard to get. I mean, they don't just say church folk for, for makeup reasons. They say church folk because we all know church folk are a trip. Church folk are a trip because church folk are falling away. Don't be one of them. Don't allow yourself to be one that's left behind. It's a good book, it was a good movie, but I don't want to be one of the cast members. I want to go see Jesus. I want to go see the saints who have gone on before me. What does it profit me to gain the whole world but lose my soul in the process? This is serious stuff people of God serious stuff think about Matthew 7 21 through 23 throughout this week not everyone that saith unto me Lord Lord shall enter in the kingdom of God will you be one of them who's wasted your time. My former bishop, Bishop Quander Lear Wilson, used to say, if you're going to hell, you might as well have a party Amen. on your way because it'll be the last one you have. There ain't no sense in coming to church and trying to restrict your behavior if your destination is hell. You might as well enjoy your season of life now because your eternity is really going to suck. I'd rather suffer in this life and have eternal peace with God. Is, are the things in this life worth it? Is he or she Worth it. Are they worth it? Is that few minutes of fake joy worth the cost of your eternity? Is doing it your way worth it? the suffering that's going to come as a result of it. Think about these things. I know that this isn't one of those, you know, get you jumping out your seat and shouting and, you know, leaving here talking about you getting ready to buy a Bentley. But this is something that, if you listen to it, will cause you to take stock of yourself. Stop letting people be your problem. Stop letting people be your problem. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do what the Lord has commanded you to do. Be whom the Lord has created you to be. Stay in your lane. Function under the anointing and the gifting that God has given you. And the blessings of God will overtake you. They will overtake you. Discipline so that you can maintain your deliverance. God bless you. Elder, close out.